signals up a little bit. There we go. All right, I think that's a little better. We're in Genesis chapter 48. Can you believe this? We are coming to the end of Genesis. Now, those of you who joined last year, we started this in March of 2017. We are coming up on two years. It will be about two years getting through Genesis. We're in message number 63, message 63, and we are in Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. <clears throat> this is an exciting, in, in one way, it's, it's an exciting portion of Scripture and how it applies to us today. And I, I hope we'll be able to relay this to you. I'm going to read some of the passage where I'll be uh, preaching from. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 of Genesis 48. I'll read on down to the end to verse 22, and Lord willing, we'll get all of chapter 48 uh, today and preached. So, in verse 15, the Bible says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them. In the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it. My son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, Make, I'm sorry, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above my brethren, above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Now, Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we just ask you, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would illuminate your word tonight that you would speak to us and that you would apply it to us uh, tonight as well. We thank you for your word. We thank you for direction. And Father, we just pray that your will be accomplished tonight. Would you bless those that have made it out tonight? And would you bless those that are providentially hindered tonight, that you'd bring them back to us quickly. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, somebody has said... That all of the words a man utters in his entire lifetime, it is what he says on his deathbed that makes the most sense. Now, I think I've said this before. My Uncle Fred Carlson's, one of his last words to my Aunt Connie was, Boy, you sights do have round faces, don't you? <laughs> you know the sights. <laughs> 
Some of you, most of you don't know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Not this Connie. I have an Aunt Connie. She's not my Aunt Connie. Just my mom's friend, Connie. (laughs) You know, it's a time on a deathbed. It's a time when some people feel the most free to be uh, completely honest. They know they're at the, there's no pretenses left. There's no facade. There's nothing left to try to pretend. They just say essentially what's on their heart. It's a time when many take the time to revisit the events of their life. They might go through, just meander back through history again and go through those events. And it's also at the time on the, on a person's deathbed. It's at these times when the living should take the most heed to what the dying is saying. These are important words. Do you know within the Word of God, God has recorded the last words of some 24 different people? 24. You want to hear? Here's just a few of them Moses, Rachel, Ahab, Eli, Phineas's. Remember uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas. They're wicked. Phineas's wife, when she was giving birth, she got the news that Hophni and Phineas had died. Remember Eli died. She was dying in childbirth, and she named their son what? Ichabod. What did she say? For the glory hath departed. Those are her last words. God recorded those. Elisha's last words. Goliath, King David, King Saul, Samson. You go to the New Testament, we remember the last words of Stephen. Lord, lay this, lay not this to their account. Lay not this to their charge. They know not what they do. The thief on the cross, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about it, a lot of space is given to people's last words. You know, when my grandfather was dying... He was born in 07. He lived to be 94. So it was at 2001. Christmas Eve, my uncle went to go visit him and sat down to see him like normal. He had then, was then just, he wasn't at the nursing home very long at all. And, uh, and he, he said, uh, well, dad just started talking about life from when they, from Iowa to Wisconsin to Canada, back to Wisconsin to when they moved to Missouri in 1938. You know, he just went through life, revisited all of his history. And he said that night, he said, good night, Dad. And he went home and the nurse called the next morning. It was Christmas morning and said that he'd passed away. You know what the last words we have of him that the nurse told us? I don't know what else, but this is what the nurse said. She said, I went in to tuck him good night and said, good night, Mr. Eccles. We'll see you in the morning. He says, no, I'm going home. (laughs) That's what he said. And she goes, oh, you are. She goes, okay. He goes, yeah, going home. Yeah, he knew it. Yeah. Last words. Michael Faraday. Anybody know that name? It's an old name, Michael Faraday. Famous, famous chemist scientist. Such a renowned scientist that Albert Einstein kept a picture of him in his office. Michael Faraday invented stainless steel. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. Not only a brilliant scientist, but Michael Faraday was a brilliant Christian. If he were to be titled as a type of Christian today, he would have been called a fundamentalist. 
There were certain talks that he would not give because he had Bible study to go to. He had a church service to go to. He was, uh, he was, he was uh, petitioned all over the place for his wisdom and his knowledge in science. But uh, God came first in every part of his life. And while he was on the brink of death, the, the, his, wife, his wife had asked him if he had ever pondered what his occupation would be in the next life. So, Michael, what do you think your next occupation would be when you, in your next life? He's on his deathbed. And some of his last words, his wife said before he fell totally unconscious to the world, Faraday calmly uttered this, I shall be with Christ, and that is enough. What a blessing. What a blessing. You know the last words of Joan Crawford were? Remember her? She was dying with cancer in 1977. There were two nurses that would take care of her. And on her last day, they were realizing that this, that she was dying. And these two nurses offered a soft prayer, a quiet prayer beside her bedside. And Jones Crawford's last recorded words were this, Don't you dare ask God to help me. That's sad. What a difference between the last words of Michael Faraday and Joan Crawford. Can we not say that Crawford's words were angry, that they were hard, that they, they, they make you sad, that somebody would say such a thing? Come to the very end of the, they're looking at eternity and they say, don't you dare ask God to help me. It breaks my heart. Can we not say that Faraday's words were a blessing? <laughs> that they're an encouragement? That you might say, boy, if I... Now listen, I'm one of those, I want to go out slow. I don't want to go out in a wreck. I, I, I'm one, I got to watch the blood test. You know, they come with the needle. I got to watch this thing. You know, I got to, I don't like surprises. So I think the Lord's going to allow me to do that. And I, you know what I would hope? I would hope my last words were something of a blessing and not a discouragement or a cursing. So a few weeks ago, we looked, it's been a few weeks ago, we looked at that great altar that Jacob made as he was entering into Egypt. And not only was Jacob entering the land of Egypt, but Jacob was entering the final stage of his life. And as we come into chapter 48, Jacob is going to utter some prophetic last words. And not words of hate, not words of unbelief, but he is going to utter some words that are a blessing, and they are such a blessing that they are going to be a blessing to us almost 4,000 years later. I'd say that's a blessing. (laughs) So let's take a look at Jacob tonight, and let's look at his last words here in chapter 48. And in verses 1, Jacob is sick. And Joseph is told about it. And I believe that Joseph knows that the blessing 
is His. And we're going to look at the blessing here in a little bit. I'll, we'll revisit what the blessing is. But He knows the blessing is His. He, he knows in His Father's eyes He's the true firstborn. He knows that Rachel is really the one who's considered His wife. So Joseph is going to bring his two sons along with him. And we see this in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh, in Ephraim. And so when Joseph arrives, Jacob is going to have a time of testimony. And in verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So he's going back to revisit the blessing of God in his life. And in verse 4, And he said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. So Jacob has a time of remembrance, a time of history, and a time of of testimony that he is giving to to Joseph. And so thirdly, Jacob now declares Ephraim and Manasseh as his own. Now this is fascinating to me. Look at verse 5. This seems disjointed, like a man, like a man is just kind of wandering through his, his addled mind as he's going out of this life. But it's really not. He's, he's setting up a precedence here. In verse 5, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? That he goes here. He's declaring that Ephraim and Manasseh belong to him. He goes on to say, after Ephraim and Manasseh, the children that they have, Joseph, they'll be yours. But Ephraim and Manasseh, they're mine. In the same way that Simeon and Reuben are mine. They're mine. And so Jacob is establishing something here. I think two things we can pull out of this. There may be more, but I just want to focus on two things. Number one, it doesn't matter that their mother is an Egyptian. She's not an Israelite. didn't matter. Number two, it doesn't matter that they weren't born in Canaan. That they were born in Egypt. It doesn't matter. That has no bearing on the blessing and what's coming next in their life. But because Joseph is the seed of Jacob, Ephraim and Manasseh are just as much Israelite as Reuben and Simeon. They have just as much access and right to the blessing that has come through Abraham and Isaac. Just as much right. So he's setting this as a foundation now, okay? And so, fourthly, Jacob is going to wander back into history again. He's going to go back to when Rachel dies. And he says Rachel died on the way from Padan when they were coming back into Canaan. Remember they left their, their his, Jacob left the father-in-law. Remember that? God tells them to go back into Canaan. So as they're coming back into Canaan, Rachel dies on the way. And they bury her there in Bethlehem. And look at verse 7. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same is Bethlehem. Now notice, he does not mention Leah, 
because Leah is not Joseph's mother. So there's no point to bring this up. So Jacob is establishing, watch this, legal descent according to the rights of blessing. First of all, what he's establishing is his covenant with God. Verses 3 and 4. He says, God himself appeared to me and blessed me. This is what Jacob says. Jacob said, God himself told me that he would make me fruitful and multiply me. And he said, God himself told me that he would give me the land for an everlasting possession. So he is establishing legal descent because of the covenant that he has with God. Now, secondly, he is establishing a legal descent based upon his covenant with his wife, Rachel, in verses 4 and 7. We just, or verse 7 we just read. And what he's saying here is, Rachel is my wife. And there's another, other, man, I, I tried to find this that, that bears this out better and I couldn't, Locate where I read this. I think it's in my old Bible. I had it underlined and I don't have it in this one. But the, the scripture bears this out. Uh, Jacob's thinking here that Rachel is my wife. Notice this. Rachel's the one he worked for. Rachel is the one that he made the deal with her father to marry. That's her. She's the one he loved. Leah was a big trick. That wasn't who he was working for. And in Jacob's eyes, Rachel was his wife. And if there were in those days vows, like we would have vows today, when Jacob got up and made vows in his heart, in his mind, he was making vows to Rachel. Leah was nowhere in his thoughts or mind. No. So what is he saying here? He's establishing in this legal descent that Rachel is is his wife. So his covenant with is with God, and his covenant is with Rachel. And then, and then after that, we can see in verse 7, what he is saying here is, My covenant wife is buried in the covenant land. So if we have A plus B plus C, it has to equal D, okay? No, I don't know how that works. I wasn't that good at algebra. Actually, it kind of was, but I just forgot how it went. So watch this. He has a covenant with God. He made a covenant with Rachel. His covenant wife is buried in a covenant land. And and Joseph is the firstborn of his covenant wife. So you know what happens? The blessing goes to Joseph. It's his legal right to get the blessing. But wait a minute. Jacob is Jacob is going to bless Ephraim and Manasseh, not Joseph. Why is that? Put your thinking caps on. You got to think about this a little bit. Let's go back and revisit what a blessing is. I know we dealt with this when it came to Jacob and Esau, and we we looked at the blessing. We looked at the birthright and the blessing, the two different things of that. But if you remember, there are two things that a parent could pass on to their child. They could pass on money, which was a part of the birthright, and they could pass on a blessing, which was the spoken aspect of the inheritance. Now, the money was divided in a specific way. If you had three children, the money would be divided into four. Two of the children would get one portion each, and the firstborn would get two of the four portions. The firstborn got two parts because when the father died, the firstborn son became the head of the family. 
So this second portion of blessing wasn't jackpot just because he was oldest. It be it was this was responsibility and a load and a placed upon him to bear the weight of the responsibility of the family. So he got extra funds to be able to accomplish this. So no matter how many children there were in Jacob's case, twelve, all of them got something, but the firstborn always got two portions of what was divided up. This was the money aspect of the inheritance of what we would call the blessing. So the other aspect of this, of this inheritance blessing, was the verbal aspect, or what we would call the prophetic part of the blessing. This is when they prophesied of what they would do later in their life. Let me give you an example. God blessed Abraham. The prophetic aspect of God's blessing on Abraham, he said, your seed is going to be as the sand of the sea. He was pronouncing that prophetically, that it is going to happen, though you have no child right now. Listen, your seed is going to be as innumerable as the sand in the sea. And that's the case today. It came true. The second aspect of God's blessing on Abraham was monetary aspect, the money part. What was the money part Abraham got? God said, I'm going to give you the land. Land has value, doesn't it? Why? Because you cannot reproduce land. This is all we got. If, if any of us were really, really, really smart, and some of you are, you, some of you invested money in land, and you did well. Maybe you did. I don't know if anybody did here or not. I don't know. I'm assuming. Maybe somebody did. I had an uncle of mine that had land in seven states. He was a dentist and he had money and he went and bought land all over the place. Did pretty well with land. Can't, you can't make more land. So that's quite a monetary gift, isn't it? Could you imagine if somebody gave to you, you know, two, three, four, five, six hundred acres? Or I don't know, an entire nation? <laughs> Tell you what, uh, you get Rhode Island. That's about the size of Israel. Right? Well, that's today. Okay. I just inherited... <laughs> What, what, okay, here we go. I just inherited the King Ranch. About 900 and some thousand acres. That's a pretty good deal. 800, 800 and some thousand. Pretty nice. 150 square miles. That's worth a lot of jackpot. It's a good gift. So God blessed Abraham. Abraham then he turns around and blesses Isaac. And God, remember, God appeared to Isaac and he promised his, him the land. Wait, that was future. See, the prophetic is future. God told Abraham, "You're going to be your seed's going to be sand to the sea." Future prophetic. Abraham blesses Isaac. Future God appeared to him, and he says that, that you're going to have the land also. Future the monetary aspect of Abraham, of Isaac's blessing. Genesis twenty five five. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. There's there's the present monetary aspect. Now Isaac blessed Jacob. The prophetic part of Jacob's blessing. God appeared to Jacob and promised him the land. Although the land was the, the monetary part of Abraham's blessing, the land is the future prophetic aspect of Jacob's blessing and of Isaac's blessing. What was the monetary aspect of uh, Jacob's blessing? He got the blessing and the birthright of Isaac. He got all the stuff. That was present tense. So you see in every blessing here, you have a future prophetic and you have a present monetary aspect of the blessing. This was the normal aspect of the blessing in the birthright. The present aspect 
and the future aspect. So Jacob was the firstborn, and or Joseph was the firstborn in Jacob's eyes. So why did it go to Ephraim and Manasseh? Are you thinking about it? I hope. Don't blurt out answers. It's okay. You don't have to do that. <laughs> Notice this about the blessing. Maybe this will help you think about it. The blessing was given to the child before they accomplished anything. Future, the, fu- the future aspect of the prophecy, and even the monetary, it was given to them before they accomplished anything. Before they left the house, per se. Before they went out and did what God wanted them to do. Are you thinking? So why did it go to Ephraim and Manasseh? I think some of you might have already figured it out, maybe. But here it is. Joseph already accomplished what God intended him to accomplish. There was no more future for Joseph. He did what God wanted him to do. Listen to Genesis 47, I'm sorry, verse, uh, Genesis 45, verses 7 through 8. The Bible says, J- Joseph said this to his brothers, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So Joseph already has his future aspect. He's the ruler of, uh, of Egypt and he has preserved a posterity for his family. And he's got the, he's got the current monetary aspect. Dude's number two under Pharaoh. He has no need of anything to accomplish the responsibility that he has to accomplish. He doesn't need a blessing. His job's done. His job's done. But his sons will. His sons will. And their sons will. And because and because Jacob is still holding the blessing, and because Jacob is still alive, and it must be passed off before he dies, it's going to go to Joseph's sons and not technically, to Joseph. It'll go to Joseph, but it's going to pass right through him, and Jacob is going to lay his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, so that's the blessing. That's what's going on here in chapter 48. Now we know if you, on down the Bible talks about that, that Jacob is going to choose uh, the younger over the older, and we know Joseph doesn't like that, and we just read it. J- Jacob says, no, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. It's okay. I'm doing this on purpose. And history bears out the prophecy of Jacob. Ephraim does become greater than Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the first ones to fall away from Israel and fall out into sin. Ephraim is not. And so Jacob pronounces the prophetic part of the blessing in verses 15 and 16. And we read this just a minute ago. But let's look at it one more time. Verse 15, and he blessed Joseph and he said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now notice what Jacob is saying here. He mentions God before he says, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. He mentions the God 
he says, which fed me all my life long. And he mentions the angel, which he says, redeemed me from all evil. Now, one has said that right here in this verse are all three persons of the Godhead. (laughs) You have the Father whom Abraham and Isaac followed. You have God the Holy Spirit whom Jacob said, fed me. And as believers today, we understand the role of the Spirit of God in our life. Jesus left us a comfort. He said, He will guide you into all truth. He feeds us on the Word of God. He leads us into truth and into righteousness. And then thirdly, we see God the Son, the angel whom Jacob said, redeemed me. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed what? By the blood of the Lamb. It was Jesus Christ who fulfilled the, 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 the plan of the Father, who took upon Himself the wrath of God to pay the sin debt to redeem us back to a relationship with God. So, here it is within the Godhead, all three persons of the Godhead. And then after He finishes His own testimony, He's going to go ahead and pronounce the blessing on the two boys, on Ephraim and Manasseh. And this is the blessing on them. This is what he says. He's blessing them now. Let my name be named on them. What does that mean? Hold on. These two boys are the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to Jacob by his father. That he would be fruitful and multiply. Ephraim and Manasseh. They're the fulfillment of that prophecy. Uh, 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 that they be named on them. And he says, in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. So he brings in Abraham and Isaac now. Why is that? Well, Ephraim and Manasseh are the fulfillment of the prophecies given to Abraham and Isaac by God. They're going to be fruitful and multiply. This is evidence that God is continuing to keep His word. And then he says, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Right? I thought there was more, but I stopped like there was more to say, but there's not. So let me go back and say it correctly. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. There we go. Ended right that time. Wow, you're waiting for more and it wasn't there. Wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. So what is this? That's their own prophecy. No, this is their future prophecy. They get a future now. They get a future prophecy that they would grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And this has happened today, hasn't it? Hasn't it? We can see it around us, right? Yeah, They, they are coming back into the land like you wouldn't believe. There are people that, that are Jewish descent that you go, really? You're a Jew? <laughs> you don't look like a Jew, but they are. Yeah, They've multiplied. And so finally, Jacob tells Joseph that God is going to bring them back into the covenant land in verse 21. Look at this. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. So this is the blessing that Jacob leaves on Joseph, his firstborn, through Joseph and on to his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. All of the events recorded in this portion tonight of chapter 48 
are some of the last words of Jacob. Now he's going to go on here in 49. We won't do this tonight, but he's going to go on and he's going to, he's going to bless all of his sons and he's going to speak about them prophetically too. And some of it's not real good. Yeah. But these are his last words before he dies. Not only is Jacob doing his part in, in passing on the inheritance and the blessing, but there is something else that is going on here that I think is vitally important to the life of his children and to us today. We are reading the account of Jacob's life after it has happened. This is like almost 4,000 years later we're reading about this. We have the, we have the, uh, the, the privilege of looking at Jacob's life from beginning to end. We get to see all of the high points that God has revealed to us, but his children never knew much of their his life, most likely before they were born. And it's possible they didn't know a lot about Jacob's life after they were born. No, parents see, you know what? We, we don't tell our kids everything. Maybe it's some of the, a little bit of the problems today. Maybe too much is told, right? But no, I, I don't know about you. I know what my folks were like. There's a lot of stuff I wasn't told. Why? Because I was a kid. We weren't told a lot of stuff. There's a big chasm between adult and child, which is really missing today. But there was a huge gap between the two. And there was a lot that we weren't told. I know there's not a lot about my parents' childhood that I know. I know a little bit of what they've said. But... I know there are stories that they have told us, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of hours of life that I know nothing about of their life. Do you know in 70 years of life, you'll have lived about 618,000 hours? That's a lot of hours. Yeah. How much of that do your children know of you? Or your I know Nova doesn't know much at all right now. <laughs> You're not pushing 600 hours either, though, so she's got time. Or nieces or nephews or whatever. No, there, no. here's what I mean. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a lot about you that those coming behind you don't know about. You know what I don't know about my parents? And you know what you don't know about your parents? You don't know all about their prayer life. You really don't. You don't. Prayer is like breathing, isn't it, to the child of God? It's a continual daily thing. Although we take time to get into a prayer closet, many times it doesn't end there. It continues the entire day, day after day, like breathing does. We're in communion with our God. And thankfully that's, that's, that's available because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's made that possible. So there's not a lot I know of my parents' prayer life. I don't know how they reacted to the preaching that they got to maybe hear when they were growing up as young kids. I don't know how they reacted to that. I don't know what was going on in their heart and life when they were growing up and were un- may have been put under the gospel at different times. I don't know about every time God spoke to them and how they reacted to it. 
whether through con- conviction in the preaching. I know my mother didn't get saved till she was 17. My dad didn't get saved till he was about 18. Dad grew up in church. <laughs> Rejected a lot of preaching for some time, obviously. Or didn't understand. But it was definitely in, in front of him. But I don't, know, I don't know everything that my father did and how he reacted when God and the Holy Spirit spoke to him. I don't know. I don't know about all of the decisions they made in their obedience to God. I don't know everything that happened to them. This is what I'm getting at. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of their life I know nothing about. Nothing about. I know a few things of what they've said, but I don't know everything. And neither do your children, and neither do mine, of myself. They just don't know it all. Do you know one of the most important things Jacob did here at the end of his life? Was that he turned his children's attention to what God did and not what he did. Do you notice this? Come on, we know what Jacob is like. He's the deceiver. He's the supplanter, right? He does everything to get ahead. He was pretty smart. He always ended up on the top (laughs) with all of the sheep and with all of the land, with all of the cattle. He ended up on top. But when he got to the end of his life, did you notice in Jacob's testimony, there is not one mention of his ability and his accomplishments. Actually, this is what he says. God fed me and God redeemed me. These were his last words. He didn't say, son, come on, come here. Let me, let me tell you how to multiply sheep. Well, Joe, you don't need to know. You own half of Egypt. Let me tell, let me tell you, Ephraim, Menas, come here, come here, come here, come here. All right, here's what you do with sheep. You take this stick and you peel it and you put it in the water. And then you bring the sheep up to drink. And then they'll, you know, he didn't do that. We don't have any record of this whatsoever. What God wanted us to get recorded out of Jacob's life is that when he came to the end, his last words were, God led me and God fed me. That, were, that was his last words. That was the last thing he said. Everything I have is because God did it. And the biggest thing I believe that Jacob wanted his children to know to know about his life is that they wanted to know that the God that, that God was real. That God was real in his life, and this is the same God that can be real in your life as well. Look at verse twenty one. Look what he says here, verse 21. Look at this. Behold, I die, but God shall be with you. God shall be with you. (laughs) You know, today we leave inheritances. We don't leave prophecies, though. We don't prophesy over our children because our prophetic destination is Jesus Christ. Okay? Okay? You can't get better than that. I don't care what you get on this planet. You'll never get better than Jesus. But besides the money of an inheritance that you might leave or you might not leave. You seen that bumper sticker on the new Corvette? It says, I'm spending my children's inheritance. (laughs) But besides, besides money 
in thinking about Jacob's last words, I've had to ask myself, and I think we sh- I should ask you here tonight as well, what are you leaving your children? What are you leaving them? Besides money, what are you leaving your nieces and nephews? You're like, they're not getting a dime. Well, I know mine aren't. Besides money, if you have money to leave behind, what are you leaving the next generation that's in this church? There's a couple generations behind, behind you, maybe two or three. What are you leaving them? What are you leaving them? Let me ask you this. Have you, ever, have you ever sat down with those coming behind you and told them everything that God has done in your life? Of the hundreds of thousands of hours that some have lived in this room, how much have you divulged to those coming behind you of what God has done in your life? Could it be? And see, this is what Jacob did. Jacob was leaving something bigger than a blessing. He was leaving something, I think, bigger than the, the prophecy that, was, that was, was theirs. He was leaving them, within his last words, the reality of God in his life and what he worked in his life. And you look what he left with, with him, the last words. I'm dying, but God shall be with you. The same God that did what he did in my life is with you and will do the same thing in your life. That's what he's leaving them. I've been challenged thinking about this, thinking, what on earth do my children really know of what God has really done in my life? You ever think about it? We don't really openly talk about that like Jacob did here at the end of his life. Maybe if he did more talking during his life, maybe some of them wouldn't be where they are. Yeah. Maybe Listen, maybe God isn't real in some of our children's lives because all they've seen is our faults and mistakes, but they've never heard us tell about the things that God has done in our life. Maybe it's possible you can say, hey, listen, yeah, Dad started here, but praise God, and there's been a lot of mistakes, but I am so thankful that I'm here now and not where I used to be. God did it. Maybe they haven't heard that enough. Maybe they haven't heard every time that God answered a prayer. Maybe they haven't heard every time that God has been real in our life. Maybe they haven't heard every time of every miracle that God worked in our life. Maybe they haven't heard all of those. Have you, do you know everything that happened in your folks' life? Do you ever get a story, hear a story, or heard a story when your folks were alive, and you go, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, this is like 40 years after it happened. You go, really? I didn't know that. I tell you what, some of the greatest, most encouraging things to hear from some of you that had parents that were godly and, and served God and loved God was to hear them talk about the things that God worked in their life that only God could do. And you know what? It was an encouragement and it built you up and it made you see that God was real. And you know what? It helped you. It helped you to, 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 be, to, to have a same relationship 
with that God that your parents may have had or may not have had. I know not everybody has had that. I understand that. And so much the more, if you didn't have it, so much the more should your children have that. Yeah. Don't take for granted, listen, don't take for granted that your kids know what God is doing in your life just because you go to church. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. They need to hear the times God fed you. (laughs) They need to hear the times that God delivered you. They need to hear the time and to hear it often the day that God redeemed you. They need to hear that. Some of the greatest stories I loved hearing when we were uh, 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 in church and being younger was to hear the preacher talk about the time that God did things in their life and how God came through when they asked Him to and when He prayed and the reality of God in His life. I remember Brother Parsons talking about when they were in, in, in Bible college and the times they had nothing. They had, at the time, four girls in Bible college and, and ended up having two boys after that and, and the lack of money and leaving a job. He's older in life and left Virginia and moved to Missouri and, and got into Bible college and having to work on the side and having nothing to eat. What he would say, we'd eat rice, what, rice for breakfast and rice for lunch and, no, rice for breakfast, a cup of water for lunch and swell up for supper or something like that. I forgot how that went. They just didn't have anything. And I used to love to hear him talk about how God would be, how God was real, how he would provide for them. The ways that God would provide and that God would show up when they needed it. The money that would come, the jobs that would come, the provisions that would come. The way God fed them and led them. Hearing the salvation testimony, how his wife and girls started on the bus going to there in Richmond, Virginia. And he'd stay home and he got under conviction because his girls and his wife were going to church. So he finally started going with them and he got saved and God called him to pray. Come on, it goes on and on and on and on. And I'm telling you what, it helps you. It helps you to hear that, doesn't it? You've had them in your life, haven't you? People that were ahead of you relate to you the reality of God in their life and you go, boy, I needed that. Boy, I needed that. And now God is doing, now, now God is doing the same thing in your life. He's doing the same thing in your life. Listen, folks, you may not have a dime to pass on But your words of testimony of the active role of God in your life, those are the words at the end of your life that are a blessing. Those are a blessing. What are you doing? What are you doing for the generations coming behind you that need to see the reality of God. I'm telling you, we're living in a place right now where we have a couple generations that know nothing of the reality of God. They wouldn't know a miracle of God. They wouldn't, and I'm not just talking about God, uh, I mean, some of the great miracles that He's done in our life. I'm talking about just, just the miracle of the new birth and a regenerated life and a changed direction in life. What about that alone? That's a great miracle. To take somebody that was bound for hell to, to, to bring them to a relationship with Jesus Christ to where they're bound for heaven and everything has changed. That's a miracle. Only God can do that. We have generations that don't know anything about that. When's the last time your children have heard your testimony? 
of how God worked a miracle in your life. You say, I'm so imperfect. I've got so many mess-ups. They'll never believe it. Oh, maybe you need to relate to them where you might have been if you hadn't. (laughs) Yeah. You have the possibility that your last words are words of blessing. I hope we can take a concerted effort to be vocal once again of what God has done in our life. Because at the end of it all, like Jacob, we've not accomplished anything. We've done nothing. He has. He's done it all. Father, I want to thank you for your word tonight. pretty stark reminder of the power that our testimony has of your work in our life to the generation coming behind us. It is also a stark reminder of our responsibility that we have to the generations coming behind us. Father, would you help us tonight to keep this on the forefront of our mind? That as Jacob dealt with his son Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh and blessed them, that we would be reminded that the greatest blessing that those behind us could hear is that you are real in our life and that they would hear the actual events in our own life of what you've done and how you've worked. Would you help us to do that? Lord, we're aware there is a generation that knows nothing of you. In fact, this is nothing new, Father, because after after, uh, Joshua died and fell off the scene and the next generation died, we know your word said that that next generation came up and they didn't know all of the works that you had done in the wilderness. So, Father, would you help us that our last words would be a blessing to those that come behind us and that our words would be ready to reveal your reality of you in our life. Would you help us in that? We thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand tonight?